What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is October 28th, 2022. Phil, I know you're slightly under the weather, so I'm going to try to rebalance this out. I'm going to try to bring as much energy as possible today. I feel, I think you could feel it through the microphone right now, but I'm going to bring as much energy as I can to balance out the under the weather that you are, even though I told you to grab an umbrella or go inside so you get out of the weather. Yes, this is the second joke in the last two minutes, but I want it for public consumption now. But uh, you're also going to want to trademark that statement because it's a pretty good one. And I am TM, a little bit under the weather. It. And I don't think just with uh, your energy, but I think you also have to bring the, the loudness. I think the biggest thing for bringing en- energy is just screaming through the mic the entire time. I'm sure everybody will love it and it's going to go great. I'm going to try, and (laughs) if it's too loud in post, I can just fix it. So I'll bring as much energy as I can. But if you want to give Phil well wishes or tell me that I was too loud on this podcast, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. That is the word subscribe, even though I butchered that. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and check for the time breakdowns in the description of our show. So we have announced multiple times now, I think it was a week ago that we officially announced that we are going to be covering the Buffalo Buttes. Very excited about it. We covered the state of the Buttes on our Monday show. Well, we officially announced it. I'm just reminding everybody the BSC fantasy draft for the Buffalo Buttes will be taking place next Friday, November 4th. It is kicking off the day before their opening game, which is Saturday and Sunday home against I think it's Montreal don't quote me on that I haven't studied their schedule yet but I'm pretty sure it's Montreal the new team into the league I'm very excited about it my scouting has been getting done I have been doing tons of research Phil I don't know if you have also been doing research but the first overall pick belongs to me you have the second two so that's pressure on me because I know the top three are probably going to get chosen which means I have to figure out which top player I want. I think I know which way I'm leaning. I think it's the right decision. But, you know, being the first time covering the Buffalo Buttes, I want to be sure about who I'm picking. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. With it being our first time, it's it's pretty similar to when we first started with the Bisons. Like the Bills, we know a lot of their players. The Sabres, you know a lot of their players. The Bandits, you know a lot of their players. But for drafts like this with the Bisons and now, especially with the Buttes, a team that we just haven't covered yet, and we are getting to now, but also with the amount of turnover that team has on its own roster, it's going to be pretty tough to come up with all the correct players. And I'm sure halfway through the season, if not before, we might be making a lot of roster changes and moves because as this team gels and gains chemistry, we might see some people that we didn't expect to be quite as high on our list shoot up the uh, the ranks and maybe some of the top people fall a little bit. So it'll be an interesting season to follow, especially with the draft coming up. And the least I can say is I can't do worse than I did for the Buffalo Bisons draft last year. Half my team, more than half my team just wasn't on the team opening day. So I can't do worse. Right? That might go down. Uh, I would I would hope it goes down as the worst draft in our BSC history. Or just history in general. Yeah, probably. It could be the worst draft ever. I mean, I drafted a guy who got cut the very next day. It's, it's unbelievable what it happened. It was amazing. But... I'm looking forward to this one next Friday, again, November 4th. We're playing it up because we're very excited, and I'm just bringing the energy today. That's also another reason why it's so exciting. But we'll move on to the Buffalo Sabres. I will try to make this as energetic as I can, but the road series ended up in a dud. Tuesday versus Seattle, they lost 5-1. to Phil, they are still winless against Seattle in the history of their franchise. They have never beaten Seattle 
Kraken. It's never happened. I know you love the Seattle Kraken. Well, your first love Buffalo Sabres have never defeated them. They finished their road trip 3-1 for 6 points. The only goal scored was by Dylan Cousins. Thank you for my BSC roster. Comrie made 19 of 24 saves. Shots were 24 to just 16 in favor of Seattle. Uh, Phil, it was an ugly game overall. I am... I know in the NHL, these kind of games happen all the time, but based on the team that it happened to, are you a little bit nervous that this might turn into something bigger than just a one game blip on their radar so far? Not really. Um, I think overall, the the biggest thing with this was just energy. You could tell Seattle was high flying the whole time. They were home. They were off the day before. They didn't have to come out, you know, come out east for this game. It was just... Seattle was feeling it. They they had a lot of speed. They had a lot of power. They were just the overall much better team. The Sabres looked like they were in sand most of the game. They just they didn't have the same speed and energy that they have had for a lot of these games. They didn't have the offensive ability. They didn't really have a lot of, of those uh, breakaways or just those odd man rushes that we're used to them having with the high tempo offense they play. Defense looked like they were just kind of standing there watching the puck a lot. I mean, half of the Seattle's goals were on rebounds that ended up or turnovers that ended up just right to Seattle players right in front of the net. And it was just a overall very, very ugly game for me. It's one of those games that you just kind of throw out. I mean, obviously, there's a lot to learn from it. So as a Sabres team inside the locker room, you're not throwing it out. But as a fan and just moving forward, I think you're just kind of throwing this game out, moving on, getting back home, getting back east. And just it'll be... Interesting to see how they rebound in the next game. I think that's going to be more telling than this game necessarily was. I reserve the right to change my stance on this, but I, for now, as we are sitting here recording when they just finished up the first period home series versus Montreal, where they're starting a four game home series, I am going to toss this in the garbage for now. Now, I'll toss this in the recycling. It's a piece of paper, so I will gladly go into the recycling bin and pull it out and use it for future episodes if I need to. So it's going in the recycling bin. It's not going in the trash yet. But for me, it was 16 shots. It's just unacceptable for the an, an NHL team going into an NHL game to come out of it with 16 shots. You're facing a team, yes, you've never beaten, but it's still an expansion team who's just entering their second year in the league. I know they're improved. I know they're... St- like you said, they were flying around the ice. They didn't have to make the cross tra- cross country travel. It's their eighth eighth day out west, fourth game in this series. But it's it's still sixteen shots on net. It's just you're not gonna win a game giving up sixteen shots. Now, yes, they only gave up twenty four, and considering the the team that's been on the ice giving up forty shots a game, twenty four is not bad. But when you're looking at it, you still got outshot by eight, and you know. That <laughs> it was ugly. It was an ugly game. It's a one-game sample. You know, they're 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 coming out on Thursday night. If they come out dead on Thursday, if they come out dead on Saturday to start this home series, where they should have the energy coming back home in front of their fans after winning three of four on the road. Who would have thought if you were to go into this and say, "Hey, Sabers come out of this winning three of four, six points. They're looking good." I'm pretty sure everybody in Buffalo would sign up for that and accept that. So this is the one down. If this would have happened uh, the third game and then they would have bounced back on the fourth game against Seattle and won that one, I think our tone would have been a little bit differently. But because they end the road series like this, it's a little bit telling. Plus, 
you didn't have two of your top four defensemen. They're going to be out a while. Yoki Haru's got a broken bone below his nose. Didn't know there were bones below your <laughs> nose. That's, that's an interesting fact for me. And then Samuelson's going to be out for a few weeks, which I guess in the grand scheme of it, him with that injury and the way it looked, him only being out a few weeks is a good thing, I would call it. But still, you're down to your top four defensemen going against you know a, a high-flying team that has something to prove. Your fourth game in eight days on this long road trip, I am putting it in the recycling bin for now, but it's just crinkled up. I can pull it out whenever I want. I think the one positive in this game, even though it was five goals against, I think Comrie once again still looks yes. like a, a very good goalie. Looks like a good 1A so far. He made a lot of big saves, a lot of breakaway saves, a lot of saves really in close with the defense just really let him down this whole game. Like you said, you're missing two of your top four defensemen, so that's going to hurt. But overall, the team just did not play well in front of him. And even the goals he did give up, a lot of them were, again, breakaways or just really odd man situations that you're not really expecting him to make some of those saves. But he did keep them in in the game for quite a while. And at one point it was 3-1, and you thought maybe they could get back, and then Seattle came right back on a power play goal. So he did keep a minute, and so far I think Comrie's had a really good start to the year. Yeah, and him getting, you know, sixty percent, sixty six percent of the starts. I think that's the, the roadmap. The rest of the season is, you know, Comrie is your one A guy. He's gonna get sixty six percent of the starts every two out of three days. He's gonna get the game, and then Anderson's gonna come in relief. I don't. Anderson can't hold up like he did last year. He proved that he can't do it the way he did last year. He's he's just. He's, he's a great goalie. He's only let in two goals all year in the two games he's played. Don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying it. But just with the age he's at, he can't be relied upon to play at least half the games or even more than that. So if Comrie goes down, God forbid, Anderson is not the one that's going to be able to step up and do it. His body just won't let him do it. So have him being in that playing one-third of the games this year, I think that's the roadmap moving forward, You know, giving – Giving Comrie 55 to 60 games and giving Anderson the rest, I think as long as they stay healthy, that's a good recipe for for success because, like I said in the last show, I think Comrie is a goalie that can win you matchups. Anderson could not do that. He cannot do that. He can keep you in games. But for me, I don't think he can win you personal matchups. I think he did versus Ottawa, so I guess I'm, I'm talking <laughs> against myself. But... I, I think Comrie has the ability to go in, make tons of saves. I mean, he proved that he could do it, making that 40. You made 40 saves in one week, I believe. But it's, it, I, I think Comrie, if if given the opportunity and given some you know better to play in front of him, can win you some games in this league that you probably shouldn't have won. And to me, I think Anderson can do that as well this year because I think with him being the 1B, yes. I think he will be – much more rested. And when he comes out and gets his one start every couple games, I think he's just going to be fresh. I think he's going to be on his game. He's going to be playing at the top of his game. He's going to be playing, you know, his A game that we know that he can play, but him playing every single game or a lot of the games being the one A, I just don't, like you said, he just kind of broke down. You could tell he needed the rest. He just, he ended up being a little bit slower than you'd like to see. But I think this year and the two games he's played so far, I think, have proved it. He's only let in two goals. And I think this year, seeing him on more rest when he does get that start, I do think you're going to have confidence in him moving forward as long as he's getting those days off. And as long as Comrie's the 1A, I think we could actually see a better Anderson this season than we saw last season. Well, I can't top that. That's a great point. So I'm going to move forward with our BSC update. And uh, there was only one game to discuss. 
I put up seven and a half points, but you just put up a measly one. So that gives me a grand total of 400.63 and you got 350.82. So I have just a hair below 50 point lead so far. I'm trying to defend my BSC season one title into season two. So Phil, with that, do you have any changes you would like to make to your BSC Buffalo Sabres hockey team? I am going to move on from Yoki for now because I clearly need some points. And while he is injured, he's not going to be getting me any points. I need something, even if it's uh, half a point. Something I don't know. I need I need some points. So I'm going to pick up Lawrence Pilot. He was a I'm a big fan of his. He was always one of my favorite defensemen when he was here before he was uh, ousted by the club. And now he is back, and we will see what he has. I know he had a really good preseason. I know the coach seems to like him quite a bit, so now he's given that opportunity with two of their top defensemen gone. So we'll see uh, We'll see what he's got, see how his, his game has improved over in the KHL, back to the NHL, and see if he can gel with some line mates, and uh, we'll see what he's got going on. I like the move. Uh, I know it was either probably him or Bryson was your decisions there. I think Bryson has played the best hockey he's ever played for the Buffalo Sabres, but I do like the addition of Pilot because I think he gives you a bit more offensive ability than Bryson does. So I like the change. I'm going to hold steady. I think Krebs is back in the lineup as we're recording right now. I think they're in the second period, so obviously we're not going to be able to talk about it. But I'm, I'm going to hold steady as is. I know Krebs has been out for a bit, but he's back in the lineup. Hopefully he can uh, get going because that got Jack Quinn going. He, he uh, should have scored, but then that was rolled off sides in this game, I believe. Thanks if, a lot, middle stat, and you're a you're yeah. lazy bum. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. So I'm, I'm going to hold steady as is because um, I like my team. I'm giving them confidence, a boost of encouragement from your coach. So there you go. But games Thursday, like I said, right now going on home Montreal, they play uh, Chicago Saturday at home, seven o'clock game. So this is the start of a four game homestand. This is where you can, you know, October, November, and December for me are the times where you need to put up wins to get more fans butts in those seats to make playing at home more fun. And I'm going to two different games, one in November, one in December. Thank you, Buffalo Bandits. That's actually something nice you do for your fans. But uh, I'm going to a few games, and I want to have them fun. And a fun team on the ice makes it fun to be in the arena. So please make it more fun. But we'll move on to Buffalo Bandits, who are starting their training camp. Preseason is kicking off next weekend. Again, sadly, no fans are allowed in the arena. I've, uh, I've, I've talk this point over and over and over i don't like it but i don't know the decisions behind it i think this is a great way where you could you know grow your sport you know donation to a charity and i feel like the amount of money it would cost to open the arena and staff it a bit you don't even need to do uh it's so frustrating you don't even have to do concessions like yes i i just tell people ahead of time you know there's not gonna be any food or anything but go enjoy your team They have such a dedicated following. And again, to me, it's a really good way to sell season tickets for people that might be on the fence. You can, you know, post little flyers around the stadium for all the season tickets that are currently available. Let people go sit in those seats, see what the view's like, and have them get a taste of some preseason action. And maybe if they're on the fence, like, you know what, let's do it this year. These are some great seats that are available right here. Then they can go down to the box office and pick up some season tickets. It's so frustrating that you have home preseason games and they just don't let you go watch them for just no real reason. I just, it's so frustrating. Yeah. For me, it's, it's even less about season tickets. It's more about 
those fans that might not, one, might not be able to afford tickets to go to a game, two, might not want to spend the money to go to a game, you, you can get new fans of the sport by just saying, hey, bring a can goods for a charity, that's your way into the, the arena to watch a, pre- a preseason game. That seems like a very easy thing to do. You would, one, get credit for looking out for charities in the area that desperately need food, especially in these times right now. And two, how much money are you going to be losing when Terry Pagula just made a billion dollars over the year? I don't know if this is his decision, but I'm just going to put it on him because why not? He's never just going to listen to this, so I don't really care. But this is how you can grow your sport and make more fans of your team by making it pretty much free except for a can good to come in and watch the top level talent in the sport play in a preseason game. It would just be a lot, a lot of fun, but we'll move forward. Phil, <laughs> the question is, and I didn't even want to go on the rant, but you kind of got me going. Well, it's Phil, frustrating. <laughs> it is. It is. I was very frustrated when I found out that there's no fans in the stands, even though Toronto's letting them in. I don't get it. Whatever. Move forward. Who are some names that you're going to be keeping an eye on in camp and throughout the preseason? I got some big names and maybe not even big names for the average fan out there, but for people that cover the team like us, it's going to be some bigger names this year that might make an impact in the starting lineup or at least as depth role pieces. So is there any top level names that you're going to be keeping an eye on and taking notes during preseason? exactly who you just mentioned are the people that I'm keeping an eye on pretty much all of the rookies coming in or even the younger players that played last year there are holes on the right side there are even more holes on the left side there are a a lot of players coming in fighting for those spots you got Vecine, Monroe, Miller, Kaz from last year who was injured you got LaRue you got McCauley you got Robinson you got all these names that are going to be coming in fighting for a roster spot, fighting for that lefty spot that was vacated and just trying to get some more righty depth. I mean, all these players are coming in. So many of them are going to be extremely talented, and I'm definitely keeping an eye on every single one of them. I think it's going to be one of the more interesting camps we've had in a little while. For the most part, last year when he headed into camp, the roster was relatively set. They brought back most of their team, and all the starters you kind of looked at were pretty much locked in. This year, there's a little bit more of a gap in some of the forward areas on the right and the left. So to me, I think it's just going to be a lot of the rookies and to see who steps up the most and who earns that roster spot. Yeah, for me, it might not be the go-to pick and the go-to camp battle. <coughs> but for me, I think it's the backup behind Matt Vince. And because of the amount of on-the-field talent they added this offseason between the draft picks from last year, between you know Dylan Robinson coming in and playing on the back end, it's just like between the defense, the middies, the transition, and the forwards, there is so much talent on this team right now. And as far as I know, there's still only four practice squad spots. So between the active roster, the healthy scratches, and the practice squad, there's not going to be a ton of space, and you're going to lose some players that you just have to cut because there's just not enough room for the amount of bodies that are there. So for me, I don't see them keeping a a third-string goalie on the practice squad this year. Last year, they did it to Delvin Shanahan. I can't see them doing that this year because they don't want to risk some of this on-field talent when you already have the best goalie of all time in the net. So between Doug Buckin and Delvin Shanahan, I want to see 
who is going to fight out and be that backup. Shanahan's been the back, uh, the third string goalie for what two, three years now. I think it is. Uh, if you include the the shortened season, it'll be I think his third season coming in. But he's yet to play any minutes in the NL. Can he beat out Doug Bunkin? He had a great summer league statistics, and he got even better in the playoffs. So can he? Can he prove that he can be the backup behind Matt Vince in net? You're not going to have to play much as long as, God forbid, I'm not even going to say it. You're not going to play much. I'm not even going to bring that topic up, Phil, because it, it'll make me depressed, and I'm bringing the energy today. So can Delvin Shanahan beat out Doug Buckin to be the backup? Because if if he can, I, I like I said, there's too much talent, on-field talent, to keep a third-string goalie on the practice squad for me. I, I mean... You got Dylan Robinson, you got Vasine, Monroe, Miller, Kaz, you got LaRue. One of these guys is probably going to get chopped. And if you're using one of those four practice squad spots on a third string goalie, you're probably going to lose one of these guys to probably Vegas. Vegas is scouring the earth for people. Albany's scouring the earth for people. So that's for me is the biggest camp battle I'm going to be watching. And I know it's not the best pick because they're not going to play much behind Matt Vince, but you know, Matt Vince is only on a one-year deal. Is Delvin Shanahan the goalie of the future? It's. It, I think this is going to be a big camp for him. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that's the the big thing between those two is Shanahan's a little bit younger. He's a little bit more of the prospect who's been on the team, like you said, kind of learning behind Vince in the shadows and that third string practice squad kind of spot. But to me, with him being younger and the summer he just had, I think that is likely how the bandits probably feel about him is that he could potentially be the guy of the future. So it is a good camp battle. I mean, Buckin is a little bit more of the veteran. Shanahan's a little bit more of the unproven younger talent. So it'll be interesting to see who they choose as the true backup. And like you said, who they choose as potentially the future goalie of the bandits behind Vince on these one year deals. We'll see how much longer he has in him. But to me, I think it's going to be Shanahan just based on the youth and the summer he's had and the development he's had. But I do think it's going to be a very interesting and close camp battle. Man, events, you can play until you're 50. I, I fully believe in you. Keep it rolling. And uh, please don't leave us. Please, please <laughs> don't leave us. We'll, we'll be nothing without you. But for for me, the other one, it like you said, it's pretty much going to be all the young rookies. It's the righty side is so deep. I mean, you got Smith, Nana Coke, Frazier, and Buchanan coming back. Then you've added, I mean, you're bringing LaRue back and you're bringing Cos back. But then you're bringing in three rookies from last year's draft in, in Vasine, Monroe, and Miller. Right there, how are you going to be able to keep all these righties? The righty side is just stacked for the now and the future. There's so much talent on that right side. The left side is where... I thought we were deeper. Losing fields hurts a lot more now that I'm looking at these the, the, the breakdown than it did when we actually lost him. And I know a bunch of people are going, ah, he's just a goal. Well, we need goals. We need goals to score. And I think he added more than just goals to the team. You got Byrne, Kluch, McCulley, Brandon Robinson, and I'm throwing in Ian McKay because last year McKay didn't play as much forward and stay out there as much as he did in previous years because he didn't have to because it was so deep on the forward group now because of the breakdowns you might have to you got burn and kluch that are definitely going to be there can brad mccully step up can brandon robinson be that bully force in front of the net presence that the buffalo bandits need is ian mckay going to be playing more transition and staying out there than he did all last year so it, i i'm wondering what the formation is going to be I, I would assume you're probably going to have either Smith or 
you know, possibly, I know Frazier did it a lot last year, but you know how they pretty much did a three to two or two to three matchups on the four. I wonder if they're going to have somewhat of a point guard up top to lead the rush and just have like two righties, two lefties. And then whoever is going to be the center man up top, is it going to be Smith, Nanako, Buchanan, who's it going to be up top? It's just the righty side so deep. Somebody on the left side is definitely going to have to step up. Is it going to be McCulley? Uh, Brandon Robinson, one of these guys has got to step up for me on the left side. The only other thing I got, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of hoping, I haven't seen anything about it. ESPN Plus has covered every game of the NLL, maybe, and fingers crossed they cover the, the preseason games. But if they're not even letting fans in, I can't imagine they're going to be airing those and streaming those on TV. So we're probably going to have to rely on people that can tweet it out or, you know, the team putting out some videos to kind of keep track of this but somehow we'll try to figure out ways to keep track of what's going on in the training camps what's going on in preseason and move on from there but you know the first preseason games next sunday so uh keep track keep keep up with us and uh we'll carry you through because we're the only podcast out there phil that covers the buffalo bandits year long it's, yeah, the season uh, is it's a grueling task, but season's only about it. a month away, which is right. insane. It is. Uh, I know preseason's obviously starting, but the season itself is sneaking up real quick. Month and a week, month and a week, because the first game's the fourth, I think. Yeah, so pretty month much and a week. month and a week. Month and a week. Yeah, month and a week. It's. Uh, I'm looking forward to being back in my seat. Uh, it's. Uh, it's formed to my keister, so I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to be back to it. See, I'm bringing the energy. I'm bringing the laughters. I'm getting you out of your your weather funk you got over there. You, you well, some, I, uh, I I put the umbrella some... up. So, oh, there we go, there we go. But you still got cloudy skies on the other side of it. I'm trying to bring out some sunshine for you and <laughs> some laughters and smiles. So, what other things that will bring laughters and smiles? Well, Phil, you know how my keister has been, you know, imprinted in my seat for the Buffalo Bandits games. There's going to be a lot of keisters in seats because there is stadium renderings for the Buffalo Bills new stadium. What are your thoughts on the look and the design of the only two pitchers we got? But there are two more pitchers than we had yesterday. So I am very excited. It looks shiny. It looks new. It looks so modern. And Phil, did you see the size of the Buffaloes outside? I just wish they were a little bit bigger. I mean, first off, I think our podcast might have to institute a keister counter and uh we're up to what three four four at four or five at least so i mean we'll see what the podcast daily episode uh record is for keister set in a show but other than that um the stadium is interesting not in a bad way but to me it was kind of already what we assumed it was going to be now it's a little bit more confirmed because i know they said that this developer was the same one who recently built the tottenham spurs soccer club stadium and it was rumored to be pretty much the exact same size that the bills was looking to become and it looks eerily similar to the same stadium and to me i've always liked soccer stadiums i've always liked that little bit of overhang i think they look really cool how for the most part a lot of them just have the field uncovered this one is a little bit more open than that but to me i've always kind of liked that half dome half not kind of look cover the fans but leave the field open I've always enjoyed that look of a stadium so I do like that that's the way they're going if they're not going with a stadium look or a dome look that they are at least having a lot of the seats covered I know the wind is probably going to be whipping around up there but hopefully that helps a little bit with that as well overall I do like what they are doing I like where it's going and I think it looks pretty cool so excited to see a brand new Bills stadium I don't know 
if it's something I ever really thought about as a, a Bills fan for as long as we've been Bills fans that we would ever get a new stadium, something, you know, shiny and new and very exciting and fun. I don't think I've ever really truly thought about it as a fan. I mean, we always just kind of knew the stadium that it is currently, and I've kind of always just assumed that's what we were going to be dealing with kind of forever. And here we are with the renderings and the new deal and everything like that. So it's it's very exciting, and I do like the giant buffaloes out front like you mentioned. Yeah, I think I saw that 65% of the seats are going to be covered. It's a full dome, so you shouldn't get the same wind. I know they had like wind experts coming out there, and yep. I know that's not your field, even though you're you're dealing with umbrellas right now, so hopefully there's no wind on your end. But um, I, I'm, for some reason, less interested, and for some reason this has kind of just dawned on me within the last week or two. I'm less interested in the actual stadium itself because I was all dome, 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 retractable roof, all that kind of stuff. Knew I wasn't going to ever get it, whatever. It's it's beyond the point if they're cutting down the wind. and I don't go to the game, so I don't really care it, about the wind or the snow or whatever. As long as it's entertaining on the field, I'm perfectly fine with it because I'm going to be sitting in my keister on my couch in front of the TV. There's another one, ding, on the count. But I'm more interested in seeing what it's going to look like on the outside of the stadium. Are you going to be able to turn it into more like a community feel or like a actual like city inside of a city kind of like that? I think it's what what's the one that remember they had the dome? I think it was in Arizona maybe where they had the dome and it was flying through the whole complex. Like that's what I want. I want like a, a college element complex down by the arena where you can like tailgate outside of the arena. Not like tailgate tailgate where people are jumping through tables and everything, but where a place where people can actually hang out even if they don't have tickets to the game. Maybe they show the TV on the outside of the of the, the arena for people that don't have tickets. They can go there and gather around and have fun with the the, the fans outside of the stadium. I'm I'm more interested to see the layout around the 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 stadium than what's actually inside of it because knowing me I'm not going to pay the money to go to the seats or go to the games, freeze my butt off and, you know, deal with that kind of stuff. And then the traffic filled the traffic. I'm not dealing with the traffic. <laughs> That's the main reason I'm not going is the traffic because bandits games, you're in and out. I'm back home in like 20 minutes after, and I live 20 minutes from the, from key bank center. So it's, it's perfect. But for me, I'm just, I'm very interested to see what the, I'll call it a complex instead of like a city, instead of a city, I'm interested in the complex, the compound around the arena itself or the stadium itself and i want to see what that looks like i think they have a big opportunity that i don't think they're going to take because not not in a mean way but i just i don't think they look at it this way but even to me knowing how big the bills are with tailgating obviously it's a, a massive thing around here and it's known throughout the nfl that the bills have just pretty crazy tailgating parties and everything they could do an entire parking lot kind of set up with stations, with grills, with, you know, they have an opportunity to really set up a really cool like tailgating experience in, you know, one of the parking lots. They could have a whole tailgating parking lot that that's what that one is pretty much for. It's for all the tailgaters. It has, you know, some amenities over there, like a bathroom outside or something that just gives a real good tailgating, exciting atmosphere. But I don't think they're going to do too much with that. But like you said, I think it would be really cool to see what they build up around the stadium, not necessarily inside, not necessarily what the field's going to be, but what they do on the outside, what parking is going to be like, and just what they can build up as far as shops, restaurants, experience, like you mentioned, for fans that maybe don't want to go in the game. Will they have a giant screen outside? Is there something you can watch and hang out and be a part of the experience, even if you're not going to the game? So. I don't think 
they will end up doing much with that as much as you and I would love it and kind of see it as a big opportunity for them. But we will see and kind of hope that they have something pretty interesting to go, like you mentioned, around the outside as well and just kind of build it up other than plopping a stadium and some seats and some parking lots, you know, build it up a little bit more, especially with it being in Orchard Park and not in the city, whereas a lot of yes, these yes. a lot of these more stadiums freedom. are just in the middle of the city and they barely fit the stadium in that area and there's nothing else they can really do because everything else is already built up around it. But with Orchard Park being where it is and the old stadium being where it is, if they end up just demolishing that altogether, you have a lot of real estate, a lot of land to kind of build up a little, like you said, a little compound or community around the stadium. So it'll be interesting to see where they kind of go with this. I think it's a, a good start. The renderings are fun. It's exciting. It's a ways off, but it's still it's fun to look at and fun to imagine what they might be able to do. So, Phil, I don't know if you know this, but the Bills have a primetime game coming up on Sunday. Whoopee for us. Whoopee for me and my 1 o'clock games. But they're playing the Packers 3-4 and four, Sunday night football. The first time in a while they're going to be playing on Sunday night football. So because of that, our show is going to be moved to Tuesday. We usually record on Sunday nights, and guess what? We can't. We're going to be watching the Bills, so we're going to be recording on Monday. The episode's going to be coming out on Tuesday. So we're accommodating you once again, Bills. You're welcome. We'll accept our royalty check whenever you want. But the Packers are not the Packers of old. I don't know if you've been keeping track of the NFC for all you listeners out there, but the NFC is just gross. There's like a handful of teams out there, and then there's just nothing after that. None of them are really good. Philly's good. You know, San Francisco could be good, but they just got their doors blown off by uh, the Kansas City Chiefs the other day. I don't know who's good out there. I don't think they know who's good out there, but they still have quarterback two-time defending and MVP of the NFL Aaron Rodgers now he does not look like his old self he doesn't look like he trusts his wide receivers he doesn't look like he likes any of his wide receivers he's still got that you know smug look on his face so if the Bills go in there and just beat him up it's gonna be fun to watch but he's thrown for almost 1600 yards 11 touchdowns three interceptions he has not looked himself and trust me he's on my fantasy team so I definitely know he's not look like his old self but the only real weapon this team's going to have coming in on Sunday night besides Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Jones. I mean, he's averaging 5.5 a carry. He's got 26 receptions for 763 or 100 and, I'm sorry, 176 receptions. 763 at this point in the season would be, would be insane. It would be insane. But He's still a monster. They're just not using him right. And I'm wondering if they're finally going to see the error of their ways after losing losing to Washington last week and just saying, hey, we got to get the ball to Aaron Jones as much as possible. So if you're able to stop Aaron Jones, I don't know what else this offense is going to do. Alan Lazard is very unlikely to play. Romeo Dobbs is more like Romeo drops because he can't catch the ball. Robert Tunyon, the Bills have been pretty good against tight ends this year. Robert Tunyon is nothing like Travis Kelsey, so you don't have to worry about that. But the the biggest thing, they had the best passing defense, averaging only 168.9 yards a game and six touchdowns. Phil, they haven't played anybody good. They've played Taylor Heineke, Daniel Daniel Jones, a washed-up Tom Brady. So they haven't played elite talent, so I'm not really worried about that as much. It's just... If you can shut down Aaron Jones, this game should be no problem. I'm not. I'm trying not to be too biased and talk about the Bills too much, but I just can't see them going in Sunday night in a primetime game where Josh Allen just lights it up all the time. Has he had a bad primetime game in his entire career? I just I can't see them putting up a dud. I I can't see this game being close. 
especially after the week off they just had. I think it's just it's a good time for them to be rested. I think they're coming back and they're just going to be hungry for another win. I think they're excited for this game. And to me, one of the biggest things about this game is simply a comparison of the Jets and the Bills. And I'm not trying to say they're even in the same league. But as far as the NFL is concerned, if people want to consider the Jets a good team, again, it took the Bills a very long time to get any kind of credit. And the Jets seem like they're already getting some possibly too much credit for what they've done. But they did just put a, I believe, 27 to 10 win over the Packers recently. So the Bills are headed to this Packers game. And then they have the Jets right after that. The Jets are currently on a bye. So with that game coming up, I think that's one of the biggest things to me to kind of look for for this game is simply a comparison of the Bills and the Jets headed into that game a week from now. I'm not saying you want to overlook this game anyway, but it's going to be a game to win and a game you absolutely should win. Like you said, the Packers are just not the Packers this year, and the NFC is simply not the NFC. Outside of the Eagles, I just don't know what is happening over there, so... I don't know. It's a game they absolutely should win. It's a game, like you said, primetime. I think they're going to be excited after the rest. I think they're going to be just kind of pumped up. Hopefully they start off quick. I think that's one of the biggest things coming out of a bye is how quickly do you really get going and, you know, try to get everything moving again because sometimes coming off a bye week off of that rest, you're a little bit slower to start the game. So I think that's one of the big things is if you can have a lead out of that first half, I think there's smooth sailing after that, getting everything going. But to me, like you mentioned, this game just, it feels like when you looked at the schedule at the beginning of the year, this is going to be a little bit more of an exciting game, an interesting game, a big two powerhouse potential teams, two potential Super Bowl contenders, and the Packers are just not that good of a team this year. And I just, I don't really know what to expect from this one, but to me, it, it should be one the Bills can go in. It's a home game. It's prime time and just kind of take over and run away with it. Would you say the Packers packed it in? Oh man, I think uh, I'm trying to bring it today. I think the I'm NFC packed it. it in. That's that's probably true. Minus the Eagles and maybe the, the Cowboys, Eagles. and somehow the Giants are doing great. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't but the NFC is very the whole NFL this year, besides the select few teams, is just very confusing. I made future bets, and they're just all out of whack right now. I know there's <laughs> plenty of seasons to go, but my God, I don't think anybody going into week eight saw the scores and the, the schedules and the standings as is now but phil is there any changes you want to make to your bsc team because it is friday you can make any changes you would like you got Diggs, davis knox poyer and johnson i have allen cook singletary edmonds and milano i think i am going to hold Taron johnson is doing a kind of what we expect him to do he's extremely quiet and no one really talks about him but he's really good at doing what he does he does have an interception this year and Poyer is still one of the best in the league he's gone through some injuries but after that bye week hopefully got this rest same with Dawson Knox I know he was dealing with some injuries finally got that touchdown a huge touchdown and then got to get some rest so I'm hoping Poyer and Knox get it going after the bye week well, I'm going to stick with you. I'm also going to be keeping as is. I'm hoping that they use the bye week, and a lot of teams do this to integrate their – to basically focus on what the rookies need to be doing to gain more time and, and attention on the field. I'm hoping that's what it is at James Cook, so I'm going to keep him at least one more week, especially because I don't think this game's going to be very close, so maybe I'll get some garbage time James Cook rolls. But I, I really feel like the Bills need to get him involved more – if they want to take this offense to the next level and get more, you know, yards after the catch, because that's what they preached all offseason. We need more speed in the field. We need more yards after the catch, guys. And I think James Cook could do that if they just 
gave him more responsibilities. Yes, he's fumbled. Yes, he's dropped a few, but he's a rookie. That's going to happen. So I think moving forward, I hope they integrate him and at least Shakir a little bit more too. He was the other one I was thinking about because McKenzie's there, but I think it, it going into the second half of the Bills season, I think McKenzie and Shakir are probably going to be more of a time split. But Phil, the last question I have for you before we close the door on this episode is, like we said, it's going into quote-unquote the second half of the Bills season. I kind of say that after the bye because you kind of restart yourself. you got a week off with second half of the schedule. Who is somebody that you need and are looking for for the Bills to step up in the second half of their season? I think there's a few names you can definitely look at. For me, there's a few. I mean, I was just looking at their stats for fun, and Josh Allen is one yard ahead of Devin Singletary on the year. He has 257, Ooh-hoo. Singletary has 256, so pretty even split between those two, which is kind of gross, and I'd like to say Singletary, but I really don't think it's his fault. He just is not utilized all that much, so I think when he's on the field, he does a really good job, so asking him to step up is kind of an unfair ask because it's not on him, and the one I'd like to say to step up, again, is is kind of confusing, so it's more of a, a team thing than anything, and I think my guy is going to be Gabe Davis, and obviously that's going to be kind of hard to say because he is you know he has those humongous splash plays and again I don't really think it's on him but so far this season he's dealt with some injuries it's only five games that he's played in but something we were asking for at the beginning of the season and something we were looking at last year at the stats is for him to take that next big leap into just being that super strong wide receiver too was not only these huge splash plays, but it was just getting more targets. And on the year, he only has 14 receptions. I understand that he also has four touchdowns with those 14 receptions. And he is putting up an insane pretty much 30 yards per catch. And he has 383 yards, which is about half of what Diggs has. But to me, he only has 26 targets and 14 catches. And again, it's not necessarily on him to get going, but I think the team just needs to integrate him a lot more. I wish he was just a little bit more like Diggs. I'm not saying you need to pepper him 10, 11 times a game, but it'd be nice to see him get five or six looks a game knowing what he can be and just knowing how good of a wide receiver he is and what he does, he does really well. So something we saw last year was I think he only had 50 or 60 targets the entire season. He was right up there with, I think, Knox and him were pretty much even. This year, we were hoping to see him get a lot more targets, and that's something I'm still looking for in the second half with Gabe Davis is just targeting him quite a bit more and not just only on these one-on-one massive plays, which obviously he does really well. Not saying to stop that or take that away because he's extremely good at it, but just seeing him get more looks a little bit more consistently is something I'd like to see in the second half. I think for me, and it's kind of weird to have both of us pick somebody from the offense, but I think out of the two sides, the defense is just for some reason just looks so much better than the offense and comparing the two kind of doesn't make any sense because the offense has been top notch too. But for me, I think it's Dawson Knox and he had the whole situation with his brother dying, which was a a terrible situation. I, I can't imagine how it's hitting him and how it's affecting him even just on his day to day life, not even considering football. And, you know, I think it's more, I can't tell if it's just the way they're scheming it where they want him in to block more on on the offensive line to help there because the offensive line has been struggling time to time. So I, I don't know if it's just that. I don't know if it's the utilage. I don't know if it's the way that Ken Dorsey is playing his calls, but he's not as involved 
as he has been in previous years. He just signed that massive deal where I thought, okay, you're investing in the tight end position. Yes, you're probably getting him in before all the big tight ends get signed. So you're making a deal here and you're looking towards the future. But I just, I think where he can be better used is those third and longs where he's working the middle of the fields. He's a Mitch, Mitch, match up nightmare. I mean, nobody can really cover him. He's a freak athlete. He's a giant man. I think, I think using him in those positions, but more importantly, in the red zone. I know he walked away with a touchdown last at uh, the game-winning touchdown against Kansas City. That that's I think that's a huge starting point for where the rest of his season can go. He had nine touchdowns last year. He's got one right now and that just came in the last game. So, if they can use him more in the red zone as a red zone threat and in those third longs that for some reason they struggle in, I don't understand it. They no, it's it's third and short, I believe they struggle in more. So, if they can use him in those third and short situations, I I think I think you can you don't have to rely on him as much as you need a Diggs or a Gabe Davis or something like that. But in the crunch times, he can be like your Cole Beasley guy to pick up that first down. He can be that big end zone threat. And I, I think he's only averaging four targets. If you can bump him up to five or six, I think you're looking at a home run hitter in the tight end position for the rest of the year. Yeah, I, I don't think they paid him the amount of money they paid him to go out there and block. You, you would not pay a tight end, that amount of money to simply go out there and block. One of the big things that he has as an advantage over a lot of tight ends, again, we play a lot of fantasy football, something that you notice very quickly is that the tight ends around the league just are not great, and they do not get a lot of catches. They do not get a lot of passes. It's a very hard position to find a lot of really strong, solid talent. I do think Dawson Knox is one of the better catching tight ends in the entire league you don't pay a player like that to go out there and block every single game like you said I think he just needs more targets and just needs more opportunities I think that touchdown in that KC game I think that's what's really going to get him going especially having the bye week he was dealing with a lot of injuries early on in the season so I think that touchdown coupled with that just extra rest week I think he's going to come out and be a big part of the second half and as far as the team goes I think one of the biggest things we absolutely need to see from this team is just red zone ability. They just yep. seem awful for some reason for a team. Like you mentioned with Knox in the red zone, Davis in the red zone, they just, they have so many weapons and they cannot figure it out on how to score in those short to go situations. Or like you mentioned, third and short, they seem to also struggle with. So I think that's something hopefully they looked at a lot in the bye week because it, it's very frustrating to see an offense with this amount of talent not be able to punch it into the end zone and, you know, when you're inside that red zone, inside the 20 yards, but also when it's third and three, third and two, third and one, they just cannot seem to convert those as easily as a team you would expect to be able to convert those. And like you mentioned, their third and long ability, they seem to have no problems with, but when it's third and short and it's a little bit more of an obvious situation, they can't seem to scheme things up. And I think one of the things that we're missing from a lot of those situations is the McKenzie speed end around sweep kind of opportunities, even just getting him in motion. That was one of the big things last year that we saw kind of unlocked Allen a little bit was getting a player like McKenzie in motion, which helps him understand what the defense is doing on that play and then kind of go from there. So I think it'd be nice to see a little bit more involvement of that. But in general, I think their red zone and just short to go situations need to be a lot better in the second half, which is interesting overall from a team that is rolling five and one and looks extremely good to be kind of nitpicking, but I do think their red zone needs to be a lot better if they want to take that next step in the second half of the season. 
So, Phil, who's currently sitting under an umbrella in gray skies, is there anything else you would like to add to this episode before we close it out for the weekend? Other than the fact that I am not looking forward to going to work in uh, a few minutes. No, I think uh, I think we're all good. Everybody have a lovely Halloween because we will be back after Halloween. So happy Halloween to everyone. Stay safe out there. Have have a lot of fun. Enjoy the Bills game and then enjoy Halloween. It'll be a lovely weekend. I know Halloween's on a Monday. I don't know if people are celebrating it on the weekend, but Bills prime time into a spooky Halloween night. Have a lovely time. Stay safe and have fun. Yeah, so on our next show, we'll cover the two Sabres games that one of them's happening right now. The other one's happening on Saturday. We'll uh, cover anything that's going to be happening with the Buttes as they approach, you know, less than a week. It'll be, what, a a week and a day when you're listening to this before their season kicks off. Anything that happens with the Buffalo Bandits this weekend is training camps starting up and preseason's right around the corner. And then, of course, we'll cover the Buffalo Bills, their game Sunday night. So, again, reminder, our next episode is going to be Tuesday, November 1st, because we're going to be recording Monday after you know, a day later than normal. So uh, adjust your schedules accordingly. But Phil, feel better. We'll uh, we'll see you shortly because I know your Halloween party's coming up. But, uh, you know, make sure you take down that umbrella before you go to bed. Don't poke your eye out. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you leave us that review on Apple and Spotify. Thank you, Apple, for finally updating the bio and the picture. You can uh, go look for it on Apple and uh, all those pretty sites now because we're fully updated. Until next time, bye-bye.